Hello and welcome back to Waking Up With Mel. This is a continuation of episode 11. We're reading my book, Home Birth. It's not just for hippies, it's for the informed. I wrote this back in 2011. I originally thought it was 2008, so correction there. And we are on chapter 6. This chapter is called Doula. The word doula comes from the ancient Greek meaning, a woman who serves. A doula is like a midwife, is also a world un- a word unfamiliar with most Americans. A doula is a labor support person who has been trained to offer guidance in the labor to laboring women. She is not medical professional and she does not help to deliver the baby like a midwife. And I want to stop right there because I was a doula. I went to doula school, quote unquote. It was called Dona. And I was assistant. I assisted um, one, two, three, three women in birth before I decided that I am not one to be on a month long uh, on the clock. What do they call that? I don't know how doctors do it. On call. I was not. I'm not made to be on call. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Okay. So, um, but I think this is what's cool about doulas and I might get into this in this chapter cause I forgot what I wrote cause I haven't read this in many, many years, but, um, do the doulas in hospitals are different than doulas you hire out of a hospital because when you hire a doula on your own, she knows you your whole pregnancy. It's much like a midwife in a hospital. You might get who knows who when you go there. You know what I mean? I mean, the more support, the better. So I'm not dissing it. I'm just saying it's very different than when they give you a doula in a hospital. I don't even know if they do that anymore. They used to do that here at Presbyterian Hospital in Albuquerque. And I have no idea if they still do or not. Okay, so it says, um, most women who hire a doula do it because they are hoping to have a natural birth. A doula will guide them through the process and help them suggest ways to ease their birth and discomfort. And one cool thing about when I was uh, doula, it, it's like you're like the clear-headed one when the mom and dad are like in in an intense moment in life, and you're able to execute and be her voice for her. And I really liked that part of my job. Okay, so they can be very helpful if you end up using medication, but their main role is to offer emotional and physical support without the use of meds. The doula will meet the couple a few times before delivery. Helping you define your goals, define your birth plan, and answering your questions about what to expect, easing your fears, and getting you ready for your awesome birth of your new baby. When labor starts, they can help you in your house during by offering physical support, rubbing your back, your legs, helping you take a shower. They can help you determine when to go to the hospital and check in once you're there. The first experience I ever had doing um, doula experience was with my best friend. Uh, so many people were telling her to have an abortion and I was like, just don't, don't do it. Don't do it. We're old enough to know better. If you decide to have this baby, I will fly down there to, it was in Boise. She doesn't even talk to me anymore, but I'll fly down there and, um, I will help you. And so I did that and I flew down there. And then the day she went into labor, we were at her house and she didn't want go to hospital. She went to birthing clinic and I was timing it and I'm like, okay, I think you're getting close. Let's go. And so we go, and I kid you not, as soon as we got there, she, she everything stopped, just like an animal. You want to be protected. You want to be safe. So everything stops. She was like, I feel like I am a monkey on a show right now. I want to go back home. So we went back home. It took her maybe an hour, maybe two, before she was ready to go back to the center. I was able to drive her. I was able to just be there for her. And it's an experience that I loved, and it was very special to my heart. Um so anyways, 
Okay, back to the book. During the hard labor and the delivery, a doula provides constant knowledgeable support, giving suggestions about different positions, breathing methods through contractions, and can answer questions and your you and your partner have about what's happening in the here and now. Most doulas should be able to explain medical procedures and help you to understand what is happening during your birth, particularly if you are birthing in a hospital. When a man sees his wife in pain and they can't help, it can often feel very overwhelming to continue to try and support his wife, to be her advocate, to navigate through the medical environment. The doula's role is to compliment the husband and take the pressure off of him so that he doesn't have to try to perform all these roles. Immediately after the delivery, the doula will help you to begin breastfeeding. She can show you how to hold your baby, how to relax, how to enjoy this important time right after the delivery. She'll come check on you a number of times after the delivery and can answer questions about nursing, the baby's health, and your own recovery. There are three types of doula. There's the birth doula and the labor support companion. That's the kind I was. Okay, so this one I typed, but I do not know how to say it. So I'm going to spell it for you. It's called an A-N-T-E-P-A-R-T-U-M doula. I'll tell you what kind of doula that is here in a second. And a postpartum doula. So a birth doula is trained is a trained labor coach who assists you during your labor and delivery. She provides you with continuous emotional support and will assist you with other non-medical aspects of your care. The antepartum doula pro provides and helps support a mom who is put on bed rest and has experienced high-risk pregnancy. They provide informational, emotional, physical, and practical support in a situation that is often stressful, confusing, and emotionally draining. A postpartum doula is hired to come to your home after birth to help you settle in with your new baby. And they also have been known to help with your placenta to prepare it for you. Studies have found that women who hire a doula experience 50% reduction in the number of cesarean births, 25% shorter labors, and 60% reduction in the request of an epidural. The use of Pitocin is reduced by 40% and 30% reduction in the needs of forceps. Do they, this was written again in 2011 when I wrote this. Hopefully to pray to God they don't use forceps anymore. I guess in some cases you probably have to. Ugh, that's so sad. Those things are horrid. I get in a chapter about like the doctor who decided that we should do this stuff and it's, oh ladies, hold on, hold on. Okay, so research also shows that women who have had a doula have less anxiety and more confidence with their baby six weeks after delivery. Women just need a little positive reinforcement to have a great drug-free birth, and a doula is a great way to get that, particularly if you're considering a natural birth in a hospital. Doulas are great support during labor, but they do not replace the need of a midwife for home birth. Doulas charge several hundred or to $1,000 for their services, which are seldom covered by health insurance. Some doulas, however, are willing to work on a sliding scale based on your ability to pay, and few pioneering hospitals even provide doulas to laboring patients who want them. Here's some great questions to ask a midwife or a doula if you are planning on having either or or in your birth. okay? So question number one, what training have you had? Question number two, what service do you provide? What are your fees? What do you provide for the birth? Are you available for my due date? What made you choose this profession? What is your philosophy on childbirth? With the midwife, discuss prenatal and postpartum care. What happens if you are not available at the time of my birth? 
My midwife had everything in a packet, what her fees are, the responsibility of the birth to a mother, what she provided in prenatal care and the birth, helpful numbers and hints. It was very helpful in answering all my questions. All right. Ready for the next chapter? This chapter, chapter seven, is called Forceps with a Side of Ezipotomy. I don't even know if I said that right. That's where they cut you from your vagina to your butt. Ezipotomy. Oh, God bless them who had those ones. Okay. And then it says, please. So forceps with a side of ezipotomy, please. <laughs> I think I'm funny sometimes. I hope you do too, my audience. You must to listen to me. We're 11 in. So, okay, here we go. Enough of this blabbing of mouth. When I became pregnant, I started hearing new words I never heard before, some of which we already mentioned, like forceps. But what is a forcep, and who invented them anyway, and why are they used so much in birth still today? In the late 1800s, when women gave the responsibility of birth to doctors to experiment with using drugs and inhumane methods, I bet they never knew we'd be birthing the way we are today. If the USA keeps up birthing as we do now, soon most all women will just pencil in their births between picking up the other kids and cooking dinner. Forceps are instruments designed to aid in the delivery of a fetus by applying traction to the head of the fetus. Ah! The history of forceps is long. Sanskrit writings from approximately 1500 BC contain evidence of a single and paired instrument throughout thought to be forceps in Egypt and Greek, Roman Persia. Uh, and other pictures refer to forceps that were originally used for the extraction following fetal demise to save the mother's life. So they used it only when the baby was dying to save the mom. As far as who gets the credit for the invention, it, the prize goes to two brothers, both named Peter Chamberlain. Peter one lived from 1560. You must not be very creative if you name both your kids Peter or yeah, they were brothers. Yeah. So weird. Okay, anyways, side note. <laughs> okay, so Peter I lived from 1560 to 1631, and Peter II lived from 1572 to 1626. The older of the two Peters is believed to be the inventor of the forceps. Their invention remained a family secret for over a the brothers went great length to keep the forceps a secret. It is said that when they arrived at the home of a woman in labor, two people had to carry the massive box with glided, carving, glided yeah, carvings into the house. The pregnant patient was blindfolded so as not to reveal the secret, and all the others had to leave the room. That's messed up. Man, what they've done to women in birth. Then the operator went to work. The people outside heard screams bells and other strange noises until the cries of the baby indicator of another successful delivery the forceps were found in 1813 under a trap door in the loft of the hall in the home of the chamberlains and given to the medical and surgical society which passed them to the royal society of medicine in 1818 peter too had the son you guessed it peter <laughs> oh my gosh these guys dr peter three Peter number three carried on the secret use of forceps and passed on the use of them to his eldest son, Hugh. Well, look at Peter number three got creative. At least there wasn't Peter number four. Hugh also practiced obstetrics. I never can say that word right. Using the secret forceps. In 1670, 
Hugh traveled to France and tried to sell the secret to the French government. Uh, Francois Mar... I can't say this name. Marousseau gave him a test to deliver a 38-year-old dwarf with a grossly malformed pelvis who was obstructed labor. He failed. This was an impossible task and returned to England. Oh, how sad. Does that mean they both died? I haven't... I, like, so now, me now would research all this even more. Hugh later went to the Netherlands, sold his secret to Roger Wolfhussen. I, I could spell all these names, but you could look them up yourself probably. The secret was sold further by the Medical MEDICO Pharmaceutical College of Amsterdam to selected physicians. After a couple of years, somebody made the secret public, but only one blade of the forceps had been revealed. Hugh eventually moved to Scotland, where in 1694, he published a book advocating health insurance. Oh, that's nice, because that's what we really needed right there. That's what, that kind of ruined the birthing it more. Hugh had a son named Hugh <laughs> and the last name Chamberlain to practice the secrets of use of forceps. Towards the end of his life, the design and use of the instrument entered the public domain. Edward Hoody published the first illustration of forceps in 1734. Since the time of the Chamberlains, there has been more than 700 different types and shapes of forceps. In 1745, William Smelly, it looks like Smelly, <clears throat> described the accurate application to the occupant. Rather than just previously perform pelvic application, regardless of the position of the head. In 1845, Sir James Simpson developed a forcep that was designed to appropriately fit both curvatures and pelvic curvatures, so the head and the pelvis. Oh, that's nice. I wonder how it was before. <laughs> Holy moly, this is like barbaric. In the 1920s, Joseph D. Lee. Oh, I have so much to say about D. Lee. I will never forget Dr. D. Lee. Here we go. Further modified that instrument advocate the forcep delivery. Okay, so he modified the instrument and advocated forcep delivery. In an era in which many women labored and delivered under heavy sedation, forcep deliveries became common. Now it is said to use forceps correctly, the cervix must be fully dilated and the bladder emptied, perhaps the use of a catheter. The baby's head must be at least plus two terms, plus two term used to describe how far the baby's head has come down the birth canal. The woman is on her back, usually with the aid of stirrups to support her legs and a mild anesthetic is administered unless an epidural ejection drug through the, the spine numbing the lower half of her body has been given it is very important that adequate pain control is achieved can you imagine these women i can't even imagine because i'm thinking of the one time i got checked when i was giving birth the first time and it was horrible and it was like a gentle woman i can't imagine a metal i just can't god bless these women they're all in heaven now but god bless them okay so um where were we after achieving the precise position on the baby's head, the two sections of the forceps are individually inserted and then locked into position around the baby's head. The fetal head is then rotated into the easiest position to traverse the maternal pelvis. But we're not done yet. An esopotomy, it's E-P-I-S-I-O-T-O-M-Y, is performed. 
and then your baby's delivered. In the early 1900s, a common way doctors insured painless labor was giving the laboring woman drugs such as chloroform after administered the woman was unconscious or semi-unconscious doctors use and still use the on the back position and legs would be elevated strap or strapped down and held apart to control the semi-unconscious woman as well as to facilitate the forceps because the horrendous lacerations caused by the forceps routine was a cut made in the skin and muscle from the entrance of the vagina towards the butt and it had to accommodate the routine use of forceps and easepotomy i wish i could say that word right i should look it up will need to be stitched afterwards using local anesthetic and water soluble stitches in the 1970s and 80s between 50 and 90 percent of women were given one of those horrible cuts oh my gosh today one in three american women get one over 1 million unnecessary episiotomies. I said it, you guys. I said it. Episiotomies. I just had to sound it out. I said some of you are screaming at me right now. Are performed annually in the U.S. My mom was given those with all three of her births, by the way. And she didn't even use forceps. They just gave them. I was like, that's how common it was. Oh, you're having birth? Let me slit you. Like, what? You should only be given one if you really need it. But as we all know, they have women lay on their back to give birth. So I bet a lot of women, quote unquote, need it. Doctors with the willing participation of women changed the focus of health care during labor and delivery from responding to problems as they arose to preventing, quote unquote, problems. Using routine, routine uses of intervention such as forceps to control the course of labor. This led to medical interventions being applied not just to the small number of women who had a diagnosed problem and needed help, but instead to every woman in labor. Today in America, it's still functioning the way it inherited in the early 1900s. We don't do anything like we did in 1900. We don't have the same phones, TV, cars, and they've all been better. But birth has only gotten worse since the 1900s. Why? All the other wealthy industrialized countries that are killing less mothers and children have national health services so they don't want the high cost of childbirth we do the opposite in the u.s healthcare industry the more care that is provided the more money that is made not just by the doctors but also the hospitals so there is less incentive to want change but god knows we need some oh man i wish i would have published this years ago because we do and we needed it then in 2011 when I wrote this book. And we need it 10 years later in 2022. It's it's needed. And that's why I decided to finally just read this book. Because I'm never probably going to actually retype this until I'm like 50. But at least I can read it and get it out to the public for free. Granted, hospitals are necessary in a small percentage of high-risk pregnancies. But in most cases, they become the problem and they create an avalanche of side effects. We talked about forceps and episiotomies, but did you know the simple fact of trying to have a baby lying on your back is unnatural and it literally makes a woman's pelvis smaller, making it almost impossible to get the baby out with some type of intervention, such as forceps, vacuum extractor, or episiotomy? Nowadays, doctors don't even bother with forceps method to pull the baby out. They make way more money doing C-sections. And the risk of getting sued for killing a baby and a mother is way less. It's hard to fathom the sad fact that women let men experiment on their bodies and our children in unthinkable ways. Women 
became scared of birth instead of what they should be scared of interventions in the hospital. Why is it taboo to bring birth back into the home? One would think it should be common sense to have a baby at home. When did common sense become so rare in our country? I laugh. Oh, that's funny. Um, 2020 Mel, you didn't see that coming, did ya? All right. That's, that's a chapter six and seven for you. I'll bring chapter eight and nine next week. I hope you all have a great Friday. God bless you. Home birth because it's safer in my opinion. Don't come for me. Bye.